Welcome to the Senior Attorney Match Podcast. I am your host, Attorney Jeremy Pook, founder of Senior Attorney Match. Here, we discuss how attorneys who have practiced for more than 30 years can monetize their law practices. We also explain how to value and how to sell a law practice and the logistics involved when transitioning a law practice to a successor lawyer or law firm. Welcome to the second part of Boomer Women in the Legal Profession. In this part, our panel discusses how to prepare upcoming women leaders in the law as Boomer Women leaders will begin retiring over the next 5 to 20 years. Our panel then discusses their hopes and dreams for women in the legal profession by December 31st, 2029. The next segment that we're going to go into is something that I know is very important to everyone on the panel, which is the upcoming women leaders in the law. What can happen now as boomer women leaders are going to be retiring over the next five to 20 years? How to prepare, as one of you said, when we were preparing for the podcast, how do we prime the pipeline for up-and-coming women leaders in the law. So we asked in advance of the recording for each of you to think of a couple of examples to share with us. So Stephanie, we're going to start with you. You're the chair of the Commission on Women in the Profession for the ABA. We know you're not speaking on behalf of the ABA, but please, a couple of couple of examples that, that, that you could share with us, please. Thank you. My best advice would be to keep a focus on progress. Do the kind of work we are doing, for example, at the commission, innovative research, such as walking out the door or visible invisibility, initiatives on long-term careers, focusing on how do you advance women lawyers into leadership positions. Now, walking out the door is a very good example of advice that's based on a national survey of managing partners and senior men and women in the nation's 500 largest firms. And based on what we found in that research, we developed a set of best practices in order to have long-term careers for women in the law. And they're strategic and practical at the same time. So in order for, let's say, a law firm to develop the kind of progress and to advance women into senior roles, There needs to be a strategy with targets and a timeline and metrics for measuring where are you today, where do you want to be, and the path, the milestones in the middle. Leadership commitment, owning the business case for diversity, and a number of other strategies are really important. So I mention that because it's not just about talking. And it's not just about where there's a will, there's a way. There really needs to be leadership from the top, probably with people who are outside the firm focusing on strategies and best practices as well in order to have continued growth for women to advance into leadership roles in order not to lose 40% of women from your law firm So that would be my best advice, to continue pushing employers to open up the doors, not just for hiring women, but for advancing women into leadership positions and giving them techniques to do so. Thank you. Michelle, please. So I've had several opportunities to groom 
what I would call really incredible talent to move up to the next level. And let me just highlight some steps that I think, while they sound formulaic, I think they show that you need to be, as Stephanie talked about, very deliberate. This doesn't happen just because you have happy thoughts. You really need to give people stretch opportunities or assignments, whether it's a new area of the law or a bigger team, really getting to know the person, trying to figure out, okay, what's going to motivate them, what's going to interest them, what's going to really stretch them so that there's an opportunity to show what they're able to deliver. You've got to also look at increasing the exposure to the decision makers and the stakeholders, whether that's the board of directors, the C-suite, and it's probably all of the above, and other senior leaders. I'd also say, even if it isn't a stretch assignment, you need to talk to the individual about what they want to do. And this is, again, that inner soul searching that one needs to have. There are times when someone will say, well, I can't move overseas as much as you think that's what I've got to do because I have a high school kid. And that's a reality. And so you need to address that. You shouldn't just assume, again, that it's a recipe and you can leave something out and it doesn't matter. It doesn't work that way. The other thing that I think is critical is really focusing on the personal development of the individual. That is, that they have sponsors executive coaches, that they get involved in outside organizations, that they get real-time feedback. And that means that they understand that as critical as the feedback may be, that it ends up being a gift. And finally, as a leader, I need to keep my eye on the ball. I need to make absolutely sure I got my eye on the prize. And that means getting buy-in from the decision makers that I know will be the ones that make the choice, because if you as a GC are leaving, you have no sway. So whatever influence you're going to have has got to be while you're still in the seat. And that also means getting feedback about your choices. Like, why do you think this person is a candidate? Or this is what I saw the individual do that came up short. So all of this to me means you're not operating on cruise control, that you've got a plan, that it is driven by data, This is something I know Stephanie sleeps with every night. This is what she believes in, and so do I. So you can then turn around and say, this is a real contender for the job. So that's those are the steps that I think would at least, while not be a guarantee, they would put you on a potential launching pad. Thank you. And Gabrielle, if you could share with us your thoughts, a couple of examples for this priming the pipeline for future women leaders in the law, please. Okay. I would say that since I'm working now with undergrad and grad students, that we should start early and we should do more to train women to be leaders earlier in their lives. And one thing that I just went through, we have about 1,500 applications for our 10 Gannon scholarships each year. And I would say, I only had to read through like 800 of them. I was stunned by how many young women feel as though they're discriminated against still. I really thought we'd come a longer way than that. So I think we need to encourage and support leadership skills starting in even high school, high school and college, so that by the time they get to law school, they have these skills and they don't have to learn them at a law firm when they arrive there. So I think trying to incorporate leadership training into younger students in addition to law students, is a very important thing. One other thing that I think that everyone should do, especially women, is to have their personal board of directors. 
And that's where you find people who can advise you on all different topics. And they can be in the profession, outside of the profession, but people who know you and know your strengths and know your desires. And you can bounce things off of them. And especially if they come from very different backgrounds, you're going to get a lot of different perspectives. And I think that that makes you a more um, complete person, which makes you a better leader and helps push you up the uh, up the ladder. One other thing I, I will recommend is that everyone now needs to be an entrepreneur in their own life because you've got to help yourself. It's great that we have mentors, but everyone has to be thinking about what is my business, whatever it is, going to be like. Great. Thank you. And Kelly, 70 lawyer law firm. You told us before that Colhane Meadows has a, a 50% plus women partners. So you've done this at, at Colhane Meadows. I mean, you're more than double the national average of women of women partners at Colhane Meadows. So we are curious to know what you've done and what you see for the future. If right now there are women in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who, who are listening to us, one of my biggest pieces of advice would be, and, I, and I, this kind of segues into how our firm has has achieved what we've, we've achieved, is I honestly believe when you're in private practice, small, medium, or large firm, it doesn't matter. It's really the clients that are dictating the success of the partners, these large firms in particular. The firms really have to be afraid to lose you because the clients need you and they rely on you and they know you. So, and I know I'm not exactly answering your question, but I wanted to, to get this this point out because somebody told me this when I was very, very early in my career. And it was a man who was an incredible mentor. And he said to me, he goes, look, he goes, get to know the clients. And he put me in front of the clients. He goes, become indispensable. He also encouraged me to get involved in the committees. And I wholeheartedly agree. We've got to start training women as entrepreneurs and leaders and insisting on a seat at the table in in these groups and committees. But we also have to keep in mind that at the end of the day, at these law firms, the partners who have you know the most toys, and I'm doing my end quote, have the most client relationships, are the ones that get to make a lot of the decisions. Because at these firms, it still is very important that you've got clients and these clients rely on you because if you were to leave, and frankly, that's how we've grown. We have grown by having senior partner level women in particular. Who, who had great client relationships. And when they left and they came to our firm, they brought those clients with them, even though these many of the clients were institutional clients of a very large law firm. But the clients made the decision, hey, we want to go with Jane Doe because Jane has serviced us so well over the last 10 years. And I would just say to younger women, if you're in the trenches and you're up all night doing, and I was in litigation, so that's what I'll use, you're prepping, you know, you're getting the notebooks together and you're making sure cross-examination goes perfectly and you're at the office all night doing that. Are you the person that the client knows or are you behind the scenes? And granted, early on, you're behind the scenes, but I would say do everything you can to have FaceTime in front of these clients because as you mature and grow and grow your practice, I think your retirement options become much more great when you can come to a firm like Colhane Meadows and say, hey, I've got a couple of really strong client relationships. I'm pretty certain they'll come with me. And I'd like my second act to be representing these, you know, I say two or three or whatever clients they are. 
I want to spend time with my grandkids and serve on boards and train younger lawyers. But I've got these clients who have trusted me, who I have serviced over the last X amount of years, and they'll come with me to a firm like yours. Then I think you have your cake and eat it too. So I, I just wanted to you know, share that story because I was introduced to a very large financial institution a little earlier in my career. And, you know, I got really personal and got to know one of the AGCs who really, and she was a woman, and she and I just became friends. I mean, like folks on this call, I mean, she was a a great client. And when she started having new matters, she called me, not the partner who introduced me to her. And so that, I think, is what really gave me a lot of, not just confidence, you know, the firm looked at me in a little different way. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, you know, Kelly leaves, this big piece of business is going to go with her. So if you're sitting there and you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and you're thinking retirement is a thousand years away, it's not. And I would echo what we just said earlier. You've really got to put together a plan and be an entrepreneur in your own life. And don't be afraid to ask for FaceTime with a client and take on some key positions with client relationships. Such great advice and insights. I'll just add that now and for the next 10 to 20 years presents a generational opportunity for women leaders in the law to succeed to baby boomer attorneys generally, which in a lot of respects are male boomer attorneys. They will be retiring. And to Michelle's comment about stretch opportunities, what I'm finding is that the younger lawyers who will approach the senior attorneys, either in their law firm or in another firm, approach them, ask them, do you have your own succession plan for your practice, for your clients? Often the answer, the sort of, I don't want to call it a dirty little secret, the, the secret is there often is not a plan. And there is such opportunity in small, medium, and large firms for women leaders in the law to approach those soon-to-be-retiring attorneys and talk with them about succeeding to their clients. Kelly, I can't agree with you more that the client relationship is extremely important. Transitioning that client relationship presents great and generational opportunity for women in the law. And that's certainly that's certainly a, a hope and dream of mine, which segues into this final segment, which are your hopes and dreams for women in the profession by December 31st, 2029. I put that out there as an arbitrary date. Feel free to use December 31st, 2020. But we really want to hear in wrapping up today's podcast, some final words of wisdom hopes and dreams from each of you. And we'll start with we'll start with Stephanie, please. Thank you. I have to begin by saying my binge watching has been on Netflix called Saul. And he's definitely <laughs> an entrepreneur in his own life. Criminal defense, switching to elder law, switching to class action. But getting back to what is a bit more of reality or the future reality 10 years from now, My hope is that this discussion, if we were having it 10 years from now, would take a very different turn, not about how women and firms can help women sustain long-term careers, not about how we need more women in leadership and more diversity of leadership, but that we've turned the curve and can have an unconstrained discussion about retirement and its opportunities, regardless of gender, race, and ethnicity. 
So we really do fulfill the goals we have for all lawyers to have a full life in that phase of life that we call, quote, retirement, unquote. Thank you. And Michelle, if you don't mind, towards the beginning of this podcast, you talked about bias interrupters. So in your hopes and dreams, if, if you can return to that, that phrase you shared with us earlier, if you're comfortable doing so, curious to know your hopes and dreams too, please. It's funny because I was going to indirectly give a remark that relates to bias. And this is how I would state it, that if we're looking at a year, 10 years from now, women lawyers will no longer be expected to do all of the same by ourselves and for ourselves about gender, ethnicity, et cetera, which will result in a more equitable culture. Very good. Thank you. And Gabrielle, please, your hopes and dreams. Well, I would have to say that I hope that we have a new paradigm for the practice of law based on skills and relationships and not billable hours, because this isn't good for women in the long run, I think. And we need to be rewarding people in a different way and not just counting billable hours and collections. I think that that is really, as we discussed earlier, it's very hard to have a family and bill the number of hours you need to bill in order to become a partner. And I think if we were able to work out a better way of measuring and charging for our services, that could be better for women, I would hope that we would have that new paradigm in place at least by 2029. Thank you. And finally, Kelly, your hopes and dreams for women in the legal profession. I hope that no woman would ever have to be in a position, which is where I was, of choosing between really raising your kids and having a sophisticated legal career. And I think, you know, what Gabrielle just said about the model, the billable hour requirement, if that were to go away, and the FaceTime at the firms, because that still exists. In fact, I, I heard from a friend who said, you know, uh, it's horrible what we're going through, but I can't tell you how nice it is to be at home and working. And, and I'm actually a little bit more productive because I'm not racing home to relieve the nanny at six o'clock. And by the way, when she races home to relieve the nanny at six o'clock, her male counterparts are at the office because their wives are at home. And so it's a real issue, you know, we're women, we're always going to be the one having the babies. I just think if we could hopefully in the next 10 years or, you know, 10 months, uh, not be put in a position where just because we may be the one to go home and relieve the childcare and we want to get home, that that doesn't translate into our ability to really grow and head up the corporate ladder or the law firm ladder. Thank you. And again, thank you very much to attorneys Stephanie Schorf, Michelle Coleman-Mays, Gabrielle Buckley, and Kelly Colhane for joining us on this very important topic and all of the information and the insights and knowledge that you shared with us today. And I hope we can regroup at some point as well because this was extremely informative. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Senior Attorney Match Podcast. For more information, please visit SeniorAttorneyMatch.com. You can always reach me, Jeremy Pook, by calling me at 781-247-4211 or sending me a text message at 617-285-3325.